respected my sentimental attachment to the old one, but pointed out that such an accident was unlikely to befall what he was offering me. You just can't put everything in them. A truck? They're not a truck, you know. And his wide-set tartar eyes glimmered. He introduced me to his salesman, a man named Sol. They both had the same sort of Eastern European whimsy, but you could see at once Sol's was of the melancholy rather than the exuberant strain. As we chatted, the proprietor said, I must compliment you, sir, on your beautiful British accent. Not British, I told him, with an automatic Fenian twitch imbued in me by Irish grandparents. Australian. It was true and even fascinating that the Americans, largely ignorant of the bad odour in which our accent was held by the British, unconditionally liked our nearly vowless English. So then, he asked me, How did a gentleman like you bust your hinge? I explained that I'd been at a film festival in Sorrento in Italy. The Sorrento gig arose from the revival of the Australian film industry in the early to mid-1970s, with directors such as Peter Weir, Bruce Beresford, Gillian Armstrong and Fred Skepsey. Since 1972, I had been associated as friend and dabbler in film with Skepsey, then a young Melbourne director, and had even acted in Skepsi's first film, The Devil's Playground, a far-above-average tale of Catholic childhood and, of course, of emergent sexuality colliding with absolutist Catholic doctrine. By that northern autumn, Fred Skepsi had also made a novel of mine, The Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith, into a film. The book and film concerned an Aboriginal who, in 1900, proceeded on an anti-white rampage in an Australia within whose constitution then in its final draft, all reference to the rights of Aboriginals was omitted. I'd played a small part in that film as well, and since Fred Skepsey himself could not go to Sorrento for its biennial film festival, which was devoted that year to Australian cinema, I was invited to go as his stand-in. They accommodated us in resort hotels along the Mediterranean coast, a festival load of people who had already established themselves and would go on to great renown, Bruce Beresford, the director, Barry Humphreys, alias Daymedner Everidge, Judy Davis, Sam Neill, Brian Brown, Ray Lawrence. We were still, both as a film industry and as a nation, unaccustomed to serious attention in northern European cultural centres, and enjoyed being the plat du jour. The Italian press treated each film with a heady seriousness, and the showings left time for dining on sumptuous Neapolitan cuisine, but the Italians also gave us a massive amount of bump on their industry. This load of serious documents was certainly not the sort of thing one would instantly throw away, unless one has grown worldly and weary of conferences. Indeed, I think the pages still exist in a storage box somewhere, a brown archive box unlikely to be opened by me in this life and irrelevant to the next. The desire to fit in all the Italian material had busted the bag, one of its two hinges at the back coming away, ripping fabric with it. I told all this to the proprietor, who introduced himself as Leopold Page. I had not long been calling him Mr. Page when he told me he somewhat regretted the name. It had been foisted on him at Ellis Island in 1947, where he said they had scared him by telling him Americans couldn't pronounce his Polish name, but that if he wanted to change it later, it would cost him $500. He quickly invited me to call him Leopold, and then, somehow, in a short time, 
I took to using the diminutive, Poldek. His true family name from Krakow, that beautiful Galician city, being Pfefferberg, Pepper Mountain, I would come to think it a name that suited his exorbitant energy, his feisty goodwill. Having been insistent to get me into his shop, Poldek seemed more curious about me than interested in a sale. This was scarcely an act. It would prove to be the way he was. Do you know some friends of mine? Poldek asked me. He mentioned various Eastern European names from Sydney and Melbourne. No, I hadn't had the honour of meeting these people, I said. They're Jewish friends of mine, he explained. From Krakow and other places. I explained that the Jewish community in Sydney, though substantial, was not as numerous as in Melbourne. As we talked, Poldek showed me a simple, lock-up, shining black briefcase with nicely patterned calfskin.